Good morning. It's great to see all of your forms way yonder in the distance. <laughs> um, what a beautiful morning. I'm glad that we can gather together and be outside um, today, and it's great to be with you in chapel this morning. Um, so many of you probably know, or at least some of you know, that before I started working here at Covenant, my family and I lived in Brazil um, for a little bit over three years. And there are many things that I love about Brazil. Um, it's a wonderful and very rich culture. I hope that someday maybe all of you can visit. Um, but one thing I really miss about Brazil is the food. Um, I miss the mangoes. I miss the papaya. I miss the pineapple. Um, I miss Brazilian rice and beans. I miss the meat. Um, and I miss, I miss cheese bread. They have this really unique and amazing cheese bread there. Um, but one thing I also really miss is my mother-in-law's cooking. She is a phenomenal cook. Everything she makes is delicious. Um, and she, she always starts her meals with this very, uh, it's a, kind of her secret sauce. I guess. She starts every dish by sauteing fresh garlic and onion in really quality olive oil. And that aroma, when I smell that, even to this day, I feel like I am sitting in her kitchen uh, and she's about ready to feed me a very delicious meal. And um, I miss that. I miss her secret sauce, if you will. Today, I want to talk about gratitude because I think in many ways gratitude is the garlic and olive oil in our walk with Jesus. Here's what I mean. I can eat food and it can nourish me, it can satisfy me, it can even taste good, but if it does not start with my mother-in-law's secret sauce, it's lacking a flavor and a deliciousness that garlic and olive oil bring. In a similar way, I am starting to think that gratitude enhances our everyday experience with Jesus. Gratitude brings flavor and beauty. We can read our Bibles, we can spend time in prayer, we can fellowship, we can partake of the sacraments, and all of those things actually do provide spiritual nourishment. Don't get me wrong, they are, the spiritual disciplines are essential for growing in our walk with Jesus. But as I think about my own life, I realize that when I start my day with a posture of gratitude, I more vividly taste and see the goodness of God. As I've been thinking about the place of gratitude in my own life, I realize that I'm not very good at it. I'm out of practice, as it were. And I wouldn't be surprised that if you pause for a second and take stock, you might feel the same way. Because this year has been a year of negativity, bad news, and disappointment. It's been easy to find solace and mutual complaint and camaraderie and grumbling. And as a result, maybe it's hard to see where and how God is at work. And I think the two are related. Also, gratitude is an interesting idea, biblically speaking. For example, it is actually not mentioned or listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I, for one, would expect to see thankfulness listed, but it's not. 
Secondly, as I've been reading God's word, I've been struck with how gratitude or giving thanks, being thankful or thanksgiving is an idea that's scattered all throughout scripture. Meaning, it's not, there's not a gratitude passage per se. There's not a place where it unpacks what gratitude is or what we should be thankful for or how we should give thanks. It's not an idea necessarily isolated in scripture. And yet, because it's everywhere, if we do good work, we will stop to realize that it's important. And finally, Thanksgiving is one of the habits that Jesus is recorded as practicing on a regular basis. Before Jesus fed 5,000 people with only a few loaves and some fish, he gave thanks. And then in his final hours with his closest friends, and when he was anticipating his hardest moments, he gave thanks. We are told in Luke 22 that he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God com comes. And then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Paul later in 1 Corinthians 11 adds this startling intro. He says, on the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. So at the very least, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we learn to love the things that he loves and to emulate his actions and his habits. So if Jesus gave thanks, we should too. But I think there's more to this idea of gratitude than meets the eye. In the original language, this action of giving thanks is captured in the Greek word eucharisteo, and the root word of eucharisteo is charis or grace, and we also see its derivative, kara or joy. Maybe, ultimately, gratitude is a repeated decision to receive grace, which then results in joy. But how is that actually played out in our lives? How does gratitude function in the ins and outs of our daily living? And I will suggest that this happens in, in our lives in a few specific ways. Um, I'm sure that this is not exhaustive, but this is what I've come up with so far in my own exploration and journey around gratitude. So three things. Gratitude provides perspective. It acts as protest. And it informs our purpose. So again, three words, and I tried to even alliterate for you. <laughs> perspective, protest, and purpose. So first, gratitude provides perspective. Just a few days ago, I found myself grumbling under my breath at some of the minor um, things we need to fix, I guess the repairs that we need to do around our house. Um, and I complained because I had to clean our house after a busy week. And my heart was really grumpy when I saw the pile of laundry that I had to fold. But then in a moment of what only, I can only explain as Holy Spirit conviction, I realized all of a sudden what a sweet gift my house is. What an amazing provision clean clothes are. And what a privilege it is that I have a body capable of cleaning my house. And just like that, the tasks in front of me, while unchanged in their lack of excitement, became tasks of stewardship instead of drudgery. Gratitude is a perspective changer. Thanksgiving reframes things for us. It shakes us up and it gives us proper sight. 
And it does this in two ways. First, gratitude moves us from a position of ownership to a position of stewardship. It rightly places God as the giver of all things, as the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and as the one who gives generously without reproach. This requires then an acknowledgement that we are simply recipients. And to receive a gift is foundationally a posture of humility. We do nothing other than stretch out our hands and accept it. So whatever we have, whether that be material goods, academic ability, financial stability, healthy relationships, athletic prowess, or spiritual insight, we receive all of it as an immeasurably gracious gift from God. He created all, and so he owns all. Whatever we have is from him. It's a gift, not a good that we have purchased or a deal that we made. It is all a gift. In other words, we own absolutely nothing. It all belongs to the one who made it and sustains it. I remember when my children were little, um, we were having a picnic and I packed a bag of pretzels and I was giving them pretzels one at a time, both to avoid conflict and choking at the time. Um, and it was working until eventually my son asked if he could hold the bag. And he promised to share and so I let him. And he had control of the bag for literally maybe like a minute and a half um, before I heard him answer his sibling's request for more with no. These are mine. Now, I had given him the bag so that he could share, but those pretzels were anything but his. He did not go to the store, he did not pick them out, he did not pay for them, bring them home, or pack them for a picnic. He simply received them. So after I stared him down for a second, <laughs> he changed his tune. Okay, I'll share, he said. You can have one more. <laughs> Which brings us to the second way that gratitude changes our perspective. If all of what we have belongs to God, then we begin to move from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. God is not stingy. He does not ever roll his eyes and say, okay, just one more. He is abundant in his grace and kindness and mercy. God does not withhold or hold back. He gushes with love for you and for me. We see this refrain all throughout the biblical narrative, but Psalm 118 is a beautiful example of where these two ideas of gratitude and abundance intersect. Psalm 118.1 begins with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. It's difficult for English translations to fully capture that word, the Hebrew word has said. It is translated here as steadfast love, but the Hebrew word is even more robust. It is getting at the idea of loyal and unconditional love sort of smashed together with enduring and time withstanding faithfulness. It is love, generosity, and enduring commitment wrapped up into one word. It is suggesting promise-keeping loyalty motivated by deep personal care. 
Friends, it is the language of abundance. God's love for you never has, does not, and never will depend on your love for him. He does not get tired of you or annoyed with you or think that you are too much. On the contrary, Psalm 23 says that this has said, this steadfast love and mercy actually is chasing you down and pursuing you all the rest of your life. Gratitude allows us to see everything through these lenses of stewardship and abundance. It gives us true perspective. Without it, we spend a lot of time hoarding things and even more, more time protecting them. We approach life with a tight-fisted perspective, exhausting our emotional energy and the hours of our day fighting to protect these things. Our wealth, our relationships, our status, our achievements, our abilities, our looks, our power, which aren't even ours to begin with. Without gratitude informing us, we believe that to give or to let go is to invite scarcity and lack into our lives. And so we lend our time and our resources and even our very selves with sort of one foot in and one foot out. We're always evaluating whether or not our gain is worth the cost. Perhaps this is where the North American church has a lot to learn from the global church. Some of my most visceral experiences with gratitude took place when I was in the company of saints who had very little uh, material resources. But their joy was unmatchable and their hospitality was immensely generous. They were viewing their life through the lens of gratitude and it changed everything for them. In some ways, for us, in this particular location on the globe, we are swimming upstream in this. It is difficult for us to maintain proper perspective, to remember that in the upside down kingdom of Jesus, we do not own our stuff. And when we live in a culture that incessantly tells us that we do and that we actually need more. And it is difficult for us to be generous when we forget the abundance we have been shown and think that our own well-being is all up to us. So let gratitude be a way forward for us. Gratitude provides perspective. Second, gratitude acts as protest. A while back, I heard um, that the number one cause for hours and hours of time spent online among young adults um, was not social media or video games or even Netflix, um, but it was online shopping. And I'm not sure if that statistic holds true, but I wouldn't be surprised. Every day, we are bombarded with all of the things that we do not have and apparently so very badly need. It's in, um, it's in the banners on our social media, right? It's in the commercials, it's in the aisles of Target, it's probably even in the conversations among your friends on your hall. We are naturally inclined, thanks to sin, to bigger, better, shinier, and newer. And this does not stop at material possessions. We tend to apply this mindset to our situations and our relationships as well, and it manifests itself in those quiet conversations we have with ourselves. If I could only get a better job, if I only had more money, if I could just take a vacation, if only I was more appreciated, if I could just date someone, if I could just be skinnier or smarter or more extroverted. Gratitude is a way of standing our ground and saying stop to all of those if statements. Gratitude is protest against the lie of bigger, better, shinier, and newer, and it is resistance to the joy-killing curse of comparison. 
Once again, Psalm 118 is helpful here. In verse 24, the psalmist proclaims, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is such a familiar verse that we often lose the weight of what's being said here. But it's actually the mantra of gratitude. This day, Monday, April 12th, with all of its highs and lows, its surprises and its disappointments, its stresses and its joys, this day, with all of the people you're going to meet in it, and all of the work you're going to do in it, and all of the fun you're going to have in it, this day, with all of the tears and the laughter and the sadness and the joy, with the light and the shadow, this day has been made by our Heavenly Father, who abundantly loves you, and He has given you life and breath to live today in your body with your abilities and your limitations. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. This alone is reason to be thankful. And this alone is a reason to stop looking around you in urgent comparison and start looking to Jesus with sincere gratitude. Too often the hurry and the rush of efficiency and achievement leave no time to actually stop and wonder at the beauty of this world around us. We no longer know how to actually behold something. Or maybe we are really just very consumed with keeping up and measuring up that we're giving up when we fall into bed every night exhausted. And there's no mystery here as to why that's the way it is. Rest and joy is fueled by gratitude and gratitude I think, is sustained by wonder. Gratitude is protest to the vicious cycle of comparison and anxiety and exhaustion. It is protest to bigger, better, shinier, and newer. So let gratitude be your protest. Third, gratitude informs our purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus, your life should be marked by thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 emphasizes this even further. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is. God's will for you is to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Of course, there are nuances to this, right? I mean, if you still have to employ wisdom, especially right now in this stage of life with some pretty significant life decisions, but maybe when you feel like you're floundering a little bit and you don't know what God's will is for you, maybe stop and look at what he has said is his will for you and start there. Start with gratitude. And maybe gratitude helps to shed light on all of those other decisions for the reasons we just talked about. It gives you perspective and it helps you resist the narratives that might lead you farther from flourishing rather than towards it. In a similar way, Ephesians 5 reminds us that we are to be imitators of God in Christ Jesus. And we do that by putting off, putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And that can seem like pretty vague language. Sometimes it's very Pauline, right? But gratitude slips in here as a super helpful and immediate way to apply this. Ephesians 5 verse 4 says, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. In other words, gratitude actually aids us in our fight against sin. Gratitude is a weapon to ward off sinful desires 
and behaviors. Specifically, according to this passage, if you struggle to control what you do with your mouth and what you say, gratitude is a way forward for you. In those moments when you are tempted to lash out in anger, instead, let there be thanksgiving. When you stub your toe and a whole host of curse, curses are just ready to flow out of your mouth, let there be thanksgiving. When you are about to belittle someone with a sexually charged joke, let there be thanksgiving. And when you are about to make a promise you have no intention of keeping, let there be thanksgiving instead. Because all of those things, filthy and foolish talk and crude joking, have no place with the followers of Jesus. They should actually seem very strange to us and inappropriate and out of place. Y'all, especially here. Instead, this campus and your halls and the great hall and the classrooms should be reverberating with thanksgiving. And this is, this is not um, a call to like a Pollyanna, fake smile, pretend that everything is sunshine and roses kind of way. On the contrary, did you hear what First Thessalonians said? Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. So in chronic pain, give thanks. In broken families, give thanks. In the death of dreams, give thanks. In loss, give thanks. In loneliness, give thanks. I mean, is Paul crazy here? I don't know about you, but this makes me really uncomfortable. What do we do with this? Surely, we are not to give thanks for suffering. There have to be some caveats, right? But it's what it actually says. And so we can't just excuse it away because it seems hard. But we can actually work hard to understand what it says. Do you remember my illustration of garlic and olive oil at the beginning? I think what this is getting at is that when gratitude is sort of the, um, the underlying flavor in all of our food, and so when our knee-jerk reaction is eucharisteo, receiving grace in the gifts, we begin to see that even the hard places and the broken places and those um, sin-wrecked places in our lives are actually still places where the grace of God can be found. It's where gr the grace of God can meet us. We actually begin to expect it when we practice gratitude. And so gratitude today, looking for the grace of God at every turn, is the habit that gets us through tomorrow. We give thanks in suffering, not for the suffering itself. We know this. To feign gratitude for suffering itself would resemble stoicism and not the way of Jesus. We know this because our theology tells us that sin has affected every single aspect of this world, and that was not the way it was created to be. And our theology also tells us that all the sadness and brokenness and sin is not the way it's going to be either. All of the sad things will be made untrue in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we lament the way that sin has wreaked havoc on this world, and we long for Jesus to come back, and we look for God's grace in the midst of suffering. And the way we do this is through the practice of gratitude. As one writer put it, what, you, what good you choose to pay attention to today is the good your mind will remember tomorrow, which is the good that your mind will be trained to be looking for next week. Paying attention to grace today pays your soul dividends tomorrow.
and there is always grace to be found. Perhaps this is how or why we can be grateful during suffering, to remember that even in our worst moments when all seems dark, we are not alone. We can fall back on God's very words that he is with us, that he sees us, and that he has started something and will finish the work of making us more and more into the image of Jesus. And as this happens, we find that we are becoming actually more fully and thoroughly human. And what results is surprising joy. So here is my challenge for you and for me this week. Add some spiritual garlic and olive oil to your life. Do the deep work of seizing everything with gratitude. When you feel tempted to grumble or complain, try to find a way that God has been kind to you. When you feel salty about your current relationship status, let gratitude reframe your perspective. When you open up your laptop and begin to browse the sales, let gratitude be your protest. When the darkness of life in a fallen world hits you hard, let gratitude lead you to the hidden grace in every place. And maybe this means you intentionally walk slower and begin to relearn childlike wonder. This is a beautiful place to wonder. Or perhaps you make a list of things to be grateful for or you start a gratitude journal. It could be as simple as telling a friend or a family member that you recognize the gift that they are to you and that you are thankful for them. Or maybe it means somehow releasing kind of your clenched fist as a way to push into living out of abundance instead of scarcity. Whatever it is, practice it. You are not going to be good at this right away. It might even feel cheesy or forced or uncomfortable, but stick with it. And then come and tell me how it's going. Because gratitude, along with so many of our aspects in our walk with Jesus, is a long obedience in the same direction. And there is plenty of time for us to practice this. And I guarantee that you will be surprised at the joy that this habit will produce. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do indeed have so much to be grateful for. Lord, teach our hearts how to be grateful, how to see your grace in every place, even in those hard places, Lord. And we do this mostly because we are so very grateful for Jesus and for his life and death and resurrection on our behalf so that we can have life with you forever. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.